Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. podcast and i'm your host sean dustin this is going to be an audio only uh folks so i hope you don't mind uh actually sometimes i i don't mind audio only it's a lot easier um i was thinking about that the other day when i was doing uh, i was editing something and i go I was like, man, there was a time, I think like the first 12 episodes, something like that, where it was audio only and it seemed so simple. And then I had to go and, and make it so much more complex by adding video and, and all these other things to it. So actually, it's nice. It's a nice break when I get to, to do just an audio only. I enjoy it. Uh, my guest today is Jen, and we're just going to call her Jen. Uh, she's a friend from... Uh, Australia. We're going to check in again about what's going on in Australia. We had a couple uh, last week, I believe, or, or the week before, not sure which one it was, um, where we talked to Christina from Tasmania and then also Ash from uh, Melbourne. And today we are going to be checking in with Jen from Melbourne. Melbourne. <laughs> All right, so another Melbourne. Um, and so, hi, Jen. How are you? G'day, Sean. We're doing all right down here, mate. Um, it's uh, been a wild ride the last 18 months, but uh, the Aussie spirit is awakening as we speak, which is a very exciting proposition. It, it is, and I've been following this um, quite a bit from you know when I started hearing about all of the different uh, lockdown measures. And at one point, Melbourne was, uh, or Melbourne, uh, was the most, I think the most lockdown city in, or the, the toughest lockdown city in the world. Well, <clears throat> we have the uh, mantle of both, toughest and longest. And um, <clears throat> that's no accident. So... We can start there, if you like, and uh, talk about coincidences and accidents and um, and how they're not really so, if you want me to start there. Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in, in this? Because you're quite involved. We met in a clubhouse room, and you guys have yeah. organized... You organized quite a bit of stuff. I mean, I was pretty impressed at, at your whole operation that you guys got going on. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, for me, um, it started really in June last year in a concerted way where things just didn't add up and they didn't add up from the first day. 
um, of declaration of a pandemic. And I'll tell you just quickly that little bit of backstory. So <clears throat> my work is in the humanitarian space. So I travel the world. We Well, I used to. <laughs> we do projects um, which are usually for underprivileged children in remote communities. And a lot of these countries are third world, as you can probably appreciate, and a lot of their governments are highly corruptive, which is why they're in the position that they're in. So I always felt that I was out there doing obviously worthwhile work, like building schools, renovating orphanages. That's fine. That's, you know, that's sort of my calling. But there was always this undercurrent of, you know, corruption in government and and just how people's liberties were taken from them, liberties that they had every right to, but were never born with a belief that they had them. And so it was very hard travelling the world, seeing that, doing good work, which is great, but always feeling very grateful to come home to a country where liberty and lifestyle are our priority. When I, um, my last trip, I, I arrived back in Australia on 10th of March, 2020, and I'd just done a three-week stint um, in Morocco working with um, their Indigenous communities out and around the Sahara Desert. And coming home, I went via four countries and had to do a few things on the way home. And there was no pandemic. There was no crazy going on anywhere, not in the airports, not in the communities, nowhere. I get home on um, Saturday, March 10th, and on the 11th, the world declares this pandemic. And immediately there was a, a disconnect for me because I'm like, I've just like literally travelled halfway around the world. I've been gone for nearly a whole month. I've passed through four countries. Why in Australia are people fighting for toilet paper in the supermarket aisles? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my like, God. I, I imagine that what? would be pretty interesting to come home to. Like, what the hell? Just picture, you know, a woman with a team of 35 people with backpacks and like, you know, you're sitting on dirt in the desert eating rice and whatever else is in their concoctions, you know, and, um, you know, just like living very primitive, very basic, and then seeing this maniacal Western state of mind. So immediately I was just saying, what is going on here and why have I walked through four airports without any fracture, without any drama, and the World Health Organization declares this pandemic. Well, the toilet paper thing was probably what I needed to see to really just immediately make sure that I didn't go into the madness of the situation, you know. So just like when you do arrive home from a long trip, you're always a little bit spaced out. You're a bit disconnected from what's going on. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you're re reorientating yourself. You're reacclimating. So yeah, and jet lag and all those sorts of things. So anyway, so um, immediately I knew something wasn't right, but it was a couple of months after that. So between the declaration of the pandemic, the, the toilet paper fights, and our government starting to say things that we'd never heard them say before, and then asking us to do things that they'd never asked us to do before, my bullshit meter went up, you know. And so ultimately... You know, it was in May. I'd lost my darling little dog um, in, you know, the COVID conditions. So, you know, taking to the vet and all that sort of stuff 
we weren't allowed to even go in with him. And it was just awful, you know, the, that sudden realisation that, well, well, wait a minute, why are we being like this, you know? So I asked the question because it, it felt like Melbourne was an experiment. Like why are they testing this shit out here, you know? Pardon the French, but it's just the way it is and I've learned to be okay, okay with just saying it as things are. Um, but, no, you know, you're good, I, man. Keep it oh, real. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Never sworn as much in the last eighteen months as I have in my entire life. <laughs> I'll just say that. But um, part of you know really getting in touch with myself was learning to you know have that voice. Anyway, um, so I started to question, you know, what's going on here, and it feels like Melbourne is an experiment. And so I literally had the question: Is Melbourne an experiment for the rest of Australia and the world? And this set me off on a path of investigating um, online. Now, I've been in publishing for 26 years, so I know how to research properly. <laughs> I know how to cross-reference um, and I know how to analyse information and, you know, take, take pieces of information and put it together again. So I started finding out things that were just shocking, including but not limited to the fact that there's actually a thing called the Melbourne Experiment and it's run by the United Nations out of a major university right here in the centre of Melbourne. I mean, can you believe that? There is actually something called the Melbourne Experiment run by the United Nations and it's all about how the Melbourne society responds to government um, responses to COVID. It's literally the playbook for the world. And, I mean, literally could not believe what I was seeing. And it's on the Monash University website. So you can, you can easily go and search this. Just go search the Melbourne Experiment, Monash University, or the Melbourne Experiment, United Nations. And the glossy, ver glossy brochure version's on there, no problems, beautiful. So you can read all about it. Well, the boldness of that really hit me between the eyes. I just want you to imagine it. You know, think of your town where you live or your city where you live, opening up your internet and actually finding that where you live is the laboratory for the rest of the world in response to COVID-19. And so from that moment, um, things started to make a little bit of sense because we were seeing ourselves being exposed to ideas and ultimately rulings that didn't make any sense and that were not only restrictions but total losses of liberty and lifestyle. And then the psychological warfare started, the psychology of being um, held responsible for people's health conditions beyond yourself, the psychology of responsibility for community and that, you know, if I didn't do what they said, I might kill someone else's granny. And this sort of dialogue started on our social media and on our mainstream media and people started to get really afraid. So people started to, um, you know, get scared of one another, started attacking one another. All the things that you've seen play out in other places, of course, have also played out here. But some of the ways that these triggers, these events were triggered were things that the Western world has never seen before, not in our lifetimes anyway. And so, um, and so began this rollout 
of one nightmare after another and promises made, promises broken. Um, All of a sudden everything was shut down and everyone was locked out and, you know, they were were patrolling our streets with military and drones and, um, you know, we had to be home by 8 o'clock at night. It was just crazy stuff you know, getting chased off the beach because, you know, you'd be, you were sitting on the beach, you weren't exercising. Um, you know, you've probably seen footage of people being body slammed, uh, you know, for being in a park and not having a face mask on. And the um, response by the government got more and more scary as time went on and escalated more and more. I don't know how much footage you've seen out of Melbourne, but I'm talking like a 70 70- bit. 70-year-old lady being, like, body slammed to the ground like she's on the World Wrestling thing show and then two officers standing over her and pepper spraying her while she lay on the ground. This is a 70-year-old woman, a pregnant woman, eight and a half months pregnant, sitting on a park bench without a face mask on because she'd been walking and she needed to stop and sit and catch her breath and they come and handcuff her, take her away. A young pregnant mother, a mother of two pregnant with a third um, at home in the morning in her pyjamas still, um, about to get in the shower to go for an ultrasound for her baby, um, her third baby, and the police bust into her house, handcuff her and take her away simply because she put a Facebook post up promoting a protest. In yeah, a I place saw that one. Made, right? Yeah, I so saw that all, one. Right. And and that and then it escalated even more. They started pepper spraying en masse and we started seeing these stormtroopers type officers on our on our um, streets, on top of the military, on top of the normal police. And these people take no prisoners. And then they started firing, firing. And when we say bullets, I want you to think the size of two ping pong balls, like grenade size rubber bullets, into the backs of peaceful protesters, unarmed peaceful protesters. And so it got so serious here. The police mowed down a group of people, protesters walking along the street. There's so much footage. And in my investigations, I learned that Melbourne had also signed itself up as the lead city in the world for the Strong City Network. (laughs) And that in 2018, we had hosted the Strong City Network big powwow in Melbourne and that the Rockefeller Foundation in 2015 had sponsored the salary of one person. His name's Toby Kent. You can look him up, Toby Kent, Strong Cities Network. And his five-year tenure paid for by Rockefeller Foundation in Melbourne when he was interviewed in 2015 by uh, one of the mainstream media, they asked the question, what's the primary focus? And he said, well, this is in 2015, Melbourne's biggest risk that they face is that of a pandemic. And so that's what I'll be preparing Melbourne for over the next four or five years, which is what he did until the end of 2019. Was he prepared Melbourne under the Strong Cities Network banner, which includes these stormtrooper police tactical response units, um, for 2020? (laughs) So just an amazing coincidence um, that that happened. And then no sooner had he left and the pandemic was declared 
enrolls the United Nations Melbourne experiment to see how we'd react to everything. And so they could write a playbook for the world. So, so you, so you, you think that this is <clears throat> going to be rolled out to the rest of, of the, the countries, um, one by one by one. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. And, and they look, they make no secret of it on the Monash university website that this is a playbook. Um, for the rest of the world. When we say the rest of the world, the third world countries will fall very easily, right? They don't have a battle on their hands there. But in the first world Western countries, we're all way too independent thinking. We're we're way too financially independent and we're way too willing to tell a government to get stuck, you know. In these other countries where, where, and the reason I mentioned my story at the start is, you know, I've got these contrasts, like first-hand real-life contrasts to how different the Western world is to many of these third-world countries and their government systems. What we also learned was that, um, the, you know, there's much bigger agendas at play too. Now, the I know a lot of people have heard of the Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development Mm-hmm. The origins of that are right here in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm not shitting you. The beginnings of the very first version of um, the Agenda 2030 was written in the 1950s by a scientist who was contracted by the Australian government who was looking into bioweaponry um, because we saw at that time Asia as a great risk to Australia. Well, they, so, they um, Asia, uh, I mean... China actually has they have they've bought a lot of your farmland, haven't they? They indeed have. They've built they've bought a lot of the world's assets. And um some of it's overt, but a lot of it's covert. They also have a lot of sleeper cells in our countries. And so for example, um Xi Xiaoping's uh who's the president of the CCP, he has twenty two immediate family members based in Australia. You don't think who they're going to stand up and fight for if there's ever something on our soil? I know that they're not here to back up Australia, put it that way. Mm. And you're going to find the same thing in your country, my friend, that um, this is this has been a slow burn exercise. It's post-World War II and it's so it's decades in the making. And there's a lot for us to take in and a lot to unpack. But... And this is why I wanted to come on the show, was not to scare people into something that suddenly exists because the world has been evil for a very long time. (laughs) We're just realising it now. Um, But that we actually hold the keys here and we hold the power to turn this whole circumstance around. And that's what you're seeing out of Australia right now and out of Melbourne right now. You know, our latest protest on the weekend was estimated at 450,000. We're a population of six and a half million. It's extraordinary numbers. And oh, it's yeah. growing. Yeah, it was crazy the one that I saw. <laughs> I saw this this drone footage and I'm like, oh my God, does it stop? Like that's a lot of people. You know what you know what's you know what's crazy is that two hundred thousand or hundred and fifty thousand more are the amount of people that go missing in the United States every year. Wow. Where do they go? <laughs> That's a lot of people. Where do they go? <laughs> Indeed. You know what? what do you I, think? I have no idea. I'm just I'm just saying like I didn't like 
450,000 people. And then I, I thought about that number and I'm going like, Jesus, that's a lot of people. And if people, that many people disappear every year, like what's a, like, there's a lot of people to, to go missing. <laughs> Actually, when I think about it, I think your number might be up around the 800,000. You think it's around 800? For memory. Yeah. So I did some research on this because I was looking into the human trafficking, again, connecting up to my work um, prior to the pandemic. And the three biggest industries in the world are drugs, firearms, and human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to be the biggest industry in the world if the biggest players in the world aren't involved, right? (laughs) So if if you look at human trafficking, for example, you know, one of the top three industries in the world is not made up of weird guys at the end of your street. No, no, no. They're nothing. They're no one players. This is big business. These are big industries. The human trafficking trade is unfortunately massive and it's predominantly women and children. Um, and maybe it's the 800,000 children you have going. Well, let's not, let's not stick the numbers into this too much because I could be wrong. Yeah. I, wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't on this path of mind. I think you, you might know. be right, though. I, th- I, think, I think it's up there, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's a really, like I said, you know, this, and I haven't come on here today to add sudden shock factor to people that all of a sudden the world went evil. No, it's been like this for a long time. We just have a whole new level of awareness and a discovery of our capacity to fight back and to make change, you know. And I really think, if nothing else, the biggest point to that, we could spend an hour dancing around this, but I'm going to go straight to the heart of the matter. The biggest thing that's happened here in Australia, which will hopefully happen for you guys too, is the ignition of the human spirit. And it doesn't matter what they inject into us. It doesn't matter what psychological games they want to run, um, you know, in the media and all the things they want to tell us that we're bad for doing and, and just for being normal, you know, full natural human beings. None of that matters because none of it extinguishes the human spirit. The only way the human spirit dies is if you surrender it. And this is what's happening. This is what people call is the great awakening, whatever you want to call it. It is the re-engagement of the human spirit. And when you look back over the last 18 months, right from those first days when they said, oh, you know, there's a pandemic and people are dropping dead in the street. Remember that footage from Wuhan? Mm -hmm. Like some one minute was, you know, vertical and the next minute they were horizontal, flat on the ground. You know, they used all these optics of terror um, on us and they they did. They, They dented the human spirit to the point that people, the freest, supposed freest people in the world, surrendered everything. I mean, people just went, that's it. Whatever has to happen has to happen. You know, if I don't have a livelihood anymore, well, that's just the price I have to pay because look what's happening in the world. And so they very quickly dismantled the human spirit, but they didn't kill it and they can never kill it. They can never extinguish the human spirit. And this is what's exciting. And this is what's happening in Australia right now. We're calling it the great Aussie comeback. It's actually the great humanity comeback because we see ourselves as a bit of a front line here, um, knowing that we are openly knowing that we are the experimental um, lab for the world, uh, the Western world, and that, um, you know, what they've been doing is lying to us. There's been a lot of lies told um, and so it's very hard to even know the little bits that could be true. 
And with yeah, all of that going on. Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, yeah, they've done a really good job at making people – I mean, people don't even really – they've been so confused by everything that they've yeah. been told or yeah. that's been said or – like, they've they've done a really good job at confusing the shit out of everybody that most people – like, a lot of people are, are just, like, I, I don't know what to believe, so I'm not going to – I'm just not going to pay attention. Absolutely. I mean, burying your head in the sand is one way of coping. And this has been a highly traumatic time, you know, and um, and sometimes people take whatever they can get, you know, as their form of oxygen just to get through the day. And so burying your head in the sand is an, is an option, you know, a very real one. But um, for those that have been brave enough to pop their head up out of the sand and start taking in oxygen again, and start understanding that there is a possibility your government is lying to you, <laughs> right? There's a possibility that there's corruption in government, in pharmaceutical, in in all facets, you know, the judicial system, um, the bureaucracy. You know, there's so many places. And to think that I remember saying to a woman once, um, we are kind of stouching it out on Facebook a bit, you know, and I said, okay, well, look, let me ask you this. Do you honestly believe that, go- that governments are not corrupt? <laughs> and so she couldn't answer that. So I'm like, okay, there's this big operation going on, a global operation. They're all singing from the same hymn book, um, you know, same playbook. It's the erosion of lifestyle and liberty. Um, do you think there's any chance that there could be some corruption in amongst that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and of course there is. I mean, like, wake up. If you even if you're still thinking that your government has done nothing but protect you, um, and that would never lie to you, you're probably at the greatest risk of us all because you're willing to do whatever they tell you to do without even thinking twice. And we all remember growing up with our parents saying, "Just because your friends want to jump off a cliff doesn't mean you should," right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> and right. So, Right, But that's what fear does and that's what breaking the human spirit can do to people. And I'm here to say, you know, we've all been caught by that. We've all shed tears of frustration, of fear, of grieving for loss, of real loss, you know, whether it's loved ones, livelihoods, all the things that, you know, become byproducts of what's gone on here. Despite all of that, the human spirit is still alive and well. And if you're willing to just, you know, grab a little bit of fresh air and get out of their madness, even just for a short time or a small space, and just start asking questions as if they weren't the trusting government, as if they maybe could be lying, if they maybe could be hiding truth, if they maybe could be exaggerating something, if maybe there's money involved in this, you know, if if maybe there's a little bit of corruption. If people just start asking just at the smallest levels, asking themselves, you know, when I really think honestly to myself, can I say that everything is above board? And, you know, if somebody's ultimate answer when they've given themselves time and space to think about it is yes everything is honest and above board well good luck (laughs) you know (laughs) meanwhile the rest of us realize that something else is going on something big is going on and we don't want to leave this kind of future for our children and our future generations you know this is our responsibility 
And just like it's our former generation's responsibilities that have gone to wars in different ways in the past against corrupt governments, you know, we're not going to get away scot-free in our entire lifetime. You know, freedom's not cheap. (laughs) You you must earn it. And so here we are at that point. And it's an exciting time to be alive because like never before, we're seeing people come together and support each other in this common desire for a better version in the world than the one that's been written and played out under the United Nations and the governments right now. And so for me um, and the great Aussie comeback, what we're doing in Australia right now is why we were put here in the first place and why I haven't ran from the country when I could have many times. I just knew instinctively that there's some reason and that eventually they're going to catch up with us, you know. And so I've stayed true to that and I've found many other comrades or many other warriors that feel the same way that, you know, this is our job to do. You know, a lot of people go through life never really knowing what their purpose is and yet here it is sitting right in front of us, right? It's Mm -hmm. to restore the evolution um, and the, the empowerment of humanity, In a nutshell, that's pretty much what it is. Um, But in order to do that, boy, have we got a mess that we've let happen, (laughs) right, while we've all been sleeping in our little white picket fence, you know, 2.2 kid households. Um, It's crazy. But but it's crazy, though, that that just two years ago we were just moving along at, at warp speed, not paying attention to nothing, mindlessly consuming um well at least a lot of people were i don't i don't know what you were but i i was i was you know mindlessly consuming and and you know thinking about you know taking a position where it was going to take me away from my daughter where i wasn't going to be around be around her for oh you know what i mean because of work so i'm chasing a career i'm chasing things that aren't as important as family is not as important as raising my daughter and so yeah, I think everybody was there and, and how quickly, like, it's like, I mean, how quick, like just boom. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, people are, are stuck in their house. No one's really, I mean, in the beginning, everybody kind of didn't know what to do because they're like, all right, well, what, what's going on? Let's, let's assess. Um, let's get some information. This is kind of weird, but you know, I guess right. there was just a pandemic movie on fucking Netflix. That's weird. Just a little <laughs> bit before that, but okay. Anyways, um, what's going on here? Right. There's these things that keep popping into my head. Like, wait a minute. Didn't, yeah. didn't hold on a second. <laughs> That's not wait. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like all these things, like, you know, for, for yeah. me, because like for someone who's been to prison and, you know, doesn't fucking deal with authority very well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, a good rebel if we need rebels. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I'm just, I'm always questioning shit. Right. Just yeah. like mm, to the point where people are like, not everything's a conspiracy. Okay. But most is. <laughs> <laughs> But right. most of this shit is because, you know, you're just not paying. Like, I don't know what it is, man. I don't know if it's that most people are good people and don't think that other people would do the kind of things that, that are being done to other people by the people that are in charge You've or by the leadership. Something. You've hit on something. Yep. It's definitely one factor, I think. And so they don't think that, well, I, I you know, 
I just don't think that that's true. I just don't think that they would do that. I would never do anything like that. Right. And and that's the difference. Right. Yeah. So when when people are trying to assess whether or not there's corruption and they're thinking, well, I would never do that. That doesn't mean it's not happening, Dave. (laughs) So that's a big one for people. Big, big one to process is that the world doesn't operate in your image. And, <laughs> and, and, and here, here's the one that I think that everybody just doesn't, I think they, everybody misses this one. We've been so conditioned by narcissistic, um, systems, yeah. right? Narcissistic systems that gaslight, that abuse and do all these other things that a narcissistic relationship that you're in would feel a lot like it. Our relationship with the media, the mainstream media is super narcissistic and totally gaslighting all the time to the yeah. point that when, when like I tune in, I'm just like, oh my God, get me away from here. I don't turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It, my, my bliss has increased a hundredfold since I've, I've tuned out of everything mainstream. That's where my new capacity for swearing was found. <laughs> Watching too much of the press conferences. <laughs> oh yeah, Jacinda. She's one that I just can't stand. Watching that woman, man, she's just so smug. Oh, she's a shocker, isn't she? Oh, like, mm. like she's just super smug and like, yeah, yeah. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, you're goddamn right. We are two societies. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah, she very much said that too. Like she was just like, uh, you know, because the reporter was jumping around, uh, you know, trying to point um, blank say that, you know, it's a two-tier society. And he goes, it's kind of like, sort of like, you know, almost like you may be creating a two-tier society. She's like, it's exactly what it is. (laughs) Man, you definitely have a pair of balls down there, lady, to come out and say that. (laughs) Yeah, geez. I'm surprised you could sit in your seat with those lady balls. (laughs) You know there is footage of him jingling around as he's walking down a hallway. <laughs> I kid you not. I swear to God, if you Google it, um, Jacinta Ardern, red dress, balls or something like that, I promise you it comes up. It's um, it's footage of her walking down the hallways of Parliament and the camera's like long shot and you can literally see the swinging around under the dress. Like I, I, I'm not shitting you. I don't know if it's Photoshopped or not. It's funny. <laughs> Hysterical, but um, <laughs> I don't take what male or female, she's got a pair, mate. Um, but you know, she was groomed from very, very young age. Her father was um, the, the chief of police, um, he also had a, a government role in running a few of the out islands, so you know, the islander communities. Um, and she was brought up through the Freemason system, and she was offered a Freemason scholarship. Um, which uh, and she actually used to run the Young Communist Party. So you can look, you can find all yeah, this. Yeah, somewhere. I heard, I heard something about that. Like she was yeah, like yeah. a young socialist, fuck something. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So just, yeah. This is Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And then after she'd finished her Freemasonry um, scholarship, Bill Gates picked her up as a goalkeeper. So she's been under his, um, you know, guidance. For a long time. His tutelage. Hey? I said his tutelage. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's exactly how he's positioned himself, you know, as a tutor and as a guide and as a, um, you know, some sort of world authority. I didn't know when we had that fucking election because I sure as shit didn't vote him in. I don't know about you, but everyone I've spoken to, you know, see him in these self-appointed positions. And you know why? Because of the amount of money he donates to the United Nations mm-hmm. and the World Health Organization. Um not to mention and, all the media companies that he pays for media. Yes. He pays yeah, 300 and something million dollars to a bunch of different media companies for good press. Yep. He buys all his press and, um, and, and, and he buys their cooperation. And he does the same with the governments. You know, he's, he's coming to Australia. He came into Australia a couple of times last year. And, um, you know, the Aussies got wind of it. Man, well, we peed off because just like get that man out of this country, you know. We never want to see him again. Um, he doesn't bring any added value. We didn't need, we've never needed him in the past. We don't need him now. Um, but he literally, again, talking about grooming, he was groomed from a very, very young age with parents that are eugenicists. Um, and no secrets there. Mummy helped him through the IBM uh, process to become who he was. And the rest is really an orchestration of a life because when you look at it, he's quite inept. Um, you know, he's not actually a, a highly intelligent, highly capable individual. And he, he's never he's never actually studied health. He, he has His eldest daughter is currently stunning to be a doctor. Um, but, you know, she'll be the only one with any sort of uh, qualification, and then who knows if she gets any frontline actual experience. But he was groomed from birth to become some sort of world leader, and now he's living out that fantasy, and he's creating the earth or the world. So not the earth, the world in his image. You know, he's um, he's funding projects with genetically modified mosquitoes over there in Florida, and also in South Australia here. Um, out of Arizona, he's running a program to dim the sun, so shooting up dust into the uh, into the atmosphere so that the sun is dimmed. So that's blocking the sun. So think about photosynthesis and the significance of that. Um, if you've been awake at all over the last 20 years, you'll know that bee populations have been decimated. And, of course, we need all of this for propagation, for pollination. And so he's been messing not just in medicine, but in all facets of existence um, and being allowed to run rampant because the, the money's been there to back him up. And without our authority or without, without our knowledge and without our okay, you know, the people of the world have just been led on that consumerism cycle that you were talking about before, you know, totally distracted all the time. Like people think that Big Brother is entertainment. No, it's a freaking pacifier. You know, it's there to nullify your brain and stop you thinking about other stuff that's going on or, you know, the shows I'm talking about, the mindless crap that they put on the TV is to just stoop you in stupidity, right? It's like a blanket of stupidity. And all the while, these people are out there fashioning the world the way that they want. Now, they don't care about the level of lifestyle of you and I. Make no mistake about that. When these people talk about equality, they're not talking about raising other people's standards to ours so that we all live comfortably and happily. No. They'll do whatever they have to do to lower our standards, which is exactly what you've seen is a controlled demolition of the Western world. That's what's gone on in the last 18 months because they want to reduce our lifestyles down 
so that we're easier to control, we're easier to manage, and we're more in line with third world country type um, lifestyles. The other thing that he's invested heavily in is protein replacement. So that's, um, you know, laboratory meat and insects because they don't want us eating normal meat anymore. They want us consuming manufactured meats um, and insects for protein gain, you know. And that's going to control how big people get. Uh, you mean as in weight-wise? Well, no, just as in as in like just product like growing, right? So if you're not getting if you're not getting the proper amount of nutrition and protein, you see what happens in in third world countries. Well, that's right. That's exactly what's going on, <laughs> right? And and the people are still asleep at the wheel. They're still behind the white picket fence and you know doing the two jobs and thinking that they have to have run two cars and well you know, four, because four they cars. yeah because they've they they haven't they haven't had to experience like so it's a it's really different like if I wasn't on Clubhouse I wouldn't know any of the things that I know about what's cool. going about what's going on anywhere else so it's really it's really odd for me because like I'm in this world on Clubhouse where I'm seeing and hearing I'm not seeing but I'm hearing um you know what's happening in other places and you know people talking about all these different things from vaccine injuries to deaths and and you know all the various information and all the different things like the RFK uh, book, you know, all these things that are going on. And then when I'm going yeah. through my day to day life here in the United States, n- nothing. There's, <laughs> right. th- there's no, like, there's none of that. So, like, sometimes I catch myself going, like, am, like, am I just in this weird little world all by myself? Or, you know what I mean? It just, it hasn't caught up to here yet. Like, even, even like some of the stuff where they were talking about the food shortages and everything else, I never saw none of that. I was preparing for it too. I went and got like all kinds of stuff. And I haven't, I mean, I, I noticed a couple of shelves were bare and missing some stuff, but I mean, none of the things that like I was expecting. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. You know, there's a dialing back on some of the uh, theories as well, of course. You know, and so being grounded is a really important part in being awake, if you like. And that's that right now, the fear mongering out there around food shortages is probably not representative of the truth. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have the potential to go there, nor does it mean that there's nothing going on. Because particularly with food supply chains, you know, that's also a long game. It could be two to three years before future harvest or, you know, <clears throat> harvest reductions are really evident. <clears throat> I do know at the recent, um, uh, what was it called, the C20, you know, the like now we're killing the planet, like we've killed grandma, now we're going to kill the planet event, um, <clears throat> the country's made a commitment to cut down on meat production. So that they're things that are a bit slow burn, you know. So there's two things. The first thing is some of these things, um, you know, uh, will take a little bit longer to come to full fruition, uh, if at all, if we don't stop them. But secondly, that, you know, the, I guess, our side of the equation, you know, the, the, the free thinking, well, free thinking can sometimes take you beyond the realms of, you know, 
probability as well as plausibility. So, you know, you've got to look at it. Is it probable? Yes. Is it plausible? Probably not. Like it's not like all of a sudden they're going to cut off food supplies, you know. Um, it'll be a, a much slower burn than that. So it is important to, um, yeah, stay grounded and and just realise that it's great to be informed and know that things like food shortages are there and that you can prepare and that you can make some provisions within your scope but not to think that the end of the world is going to just hit one day, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it's a balancing act but um, sometimes I've felt despair at just how far, you know, the, the rabbit hole is or just like, oh, my God, you know, we're really on the pathway of doom here. Um, and it can be overwhelming and, you know, remembering to dial myself back in this remembering reality, like right now I have access to these things and, yes, I can do I can do a little bit, but I don't want to lose my head over it because that's another erosion of your quality of life, you know. Yeah. And that's the very thing that we're trying to uh, maintain here is to not let them get to us, to not let them, um, you know, play in our minds anymore. Um, and b- by the way, we've been exposed to a lifetime of mind manipulation. So it's not just like 18 months that we're unravelling here. <clears throat> it's our lifetime. So, uh, yeah, everything's just um, really comes back to that sense of groundedness. And how I have found that um, sense so that I feel like I ultimately have a way forward <clears throat> should the worst things suddenly happen is to just be able to, first of all, disconnect from the system. So finding less and less need or dependence within the system has been a very liberating process for us. Just looking at, okay, as a family, you know, do we need picture theatres? Well, no, that's a man-made construct, you know. <laughs> um, do we need to be going to shopping centres? No, no. This, in fact, you know, the most pleasurable things that we've been able to discover, and these are some of the blessings of the last 18 months, is reconnecting with nature and, you know, spending place time in places that they can never QR code, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So, yeah, right? So we look for those sorts of things now. You know, we bought push bikes um, and, you know, we make a point of going cycling um, just to get out in nature. And, you know, we, we've... We've also, you know, civil disobedience uh, or peaceful rebellion, I like to call it, has played a part in our mindset management as well and keeping grounded in that, you know, we never rushed home at the curfew. And, in fact, sometimes we went driving around deliberately, you know, outside of curfew hours just to kind of fuck you, you know, so that we felt like we were still, you know, in some way, (laughs) you know what I mean? Silly little things. And, and, you know, we don't QR code into supermarkets and stuff like that. We don't play the game. And so if you make that choice to not play the game, all of a sudden the liberties start returning because you're like, wow, I'm not caught up in it anymore. And now when we do watch a news story, which is very infrequently because I refuse to have that on because that's really what brought out the, you know, the warrior in me and the bit of potty mouth. (laughs) You know, (laughs) now when we watch it though, I don't feel that same um, agitation on my life you know, the disruption of my life because we've pivoted our lives. You know, we're growing our own food in our yard now, which is really exciting. Um, You know, I'm building water self-sufficiency, building electricity, you know, power supply self-sufficiency. 
So even though we live, you know, 10 minutes as the crow flies from the very heart of Melbourne CBD, um, you know, we're, we're very independent and we just don't have the effect. Like we don't need the man-made constructs and the letting go of those, um, you know, is a really good thing. Like, I mean, who doesn't love to sit down in a restaurant and have someone cook them a meal? Well, yeah, sure, I go for it. But, you know, do, does that validate me? No, actually, it doesn't, you know. And um, and so there's other ways around those things as well. Like we've got, we're not allowed to get haircuts in Melbourne um, at the moment if you don't have double vaccination. And so, so the whole group of hairdressers have gotten together and they're going to cut people's hair on the steps of our parliament next Monday, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so the community's coming together anyway and creating this alternative to the mainstream. So just like, well, if you won't let us in your shopping centre to get a hair or that hair salon won't let us in, we're fine. We'll get our hair cut on the steps of parliament, you know, screw you. And so a little bit of that attitude you know is is a step is steps towards power empowerment but also that groundedness those core things I was talking about you know that sense of self-sufficiency and reduction in reliance on the system because this is one of the reasons why people will defend the system even though they might know on some level that something's not right the reason that they'll defend it to the death is because they can't imagine living without it so it's their, you know, it's their mother, it's their mothership. And, you know, the, the very thought of trying to exist in a natural state without fear and with self-accountability is too much for some people. Like they're just like, I can't exist unless I'm inside the system, unless, you know, someone else tells me how to think, what to do, where to go, you know, what what's the entertainment for this week? You know, someone has to dish it all up on a platter for people. And that's the easy easy trap that we've all fallen into over the years, of course. But the fact of the matter is it's life's not like that at all. You know, the earth, Mother Earth and the world are two different things. They're not the same thing. Mother Earth is the natural state, the planet that we live in, all those beautiful things that we love about being here on planet Earth. And then there's this man-made construct called the world. And that's what they try to plug as many things of us needs of us into so that we feel that we can't exist without their world and the reality is we can so we may still use parts of it right that sense of dependence isn't a surrender it's smart it's strategic right why not turn your tap on and get running water if you're happy with the quality of it right but but um you know, you don't have to participate in their society. And that's what's been the big breakthrough, I think, in Melbourne and why, yeah, you know, like we've got the haircut day, free haircuts um, and the sorts of things that we're doing here on a micro level. So, you know, day to day in everyone's households, but now it's starting to build on a macro level where we're getting together as groups and, you know, people are exchanging food, they're exchanging services, um, things that... <clears throat> you know, we're doing for one another that people wouldn't have done before. And it's all because of a choice to <coughs> reduce our dependence on the system, on that man-made construct that makes us feel like we must obey. Otherwise, we won't survive. And that's the biggest lie of them all, to be honest with you, Sean. Yeah, the funny thing is, is it, and it's not even funny, it's uh, the, the exact thing. So 
the exact thing that they don't want to happen, they're making happen. Exactly. And isn't it great? (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like that, that abusive relationship that like the one thing that you don't want to lose that person, but you're doing everything in your power to do everything to lose that person. (laughs) Absolutely. And you can't stop. And it's, (laughs) it's crazy. It is crazy. And you know what? It is an abusive relationship. Like we are all in an abusive relationship with our governments. If you're in any of our countries, you know, USA, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, um, most of the European countries, our governments are a complete tyrannical operation and um, they are our abusers. And like a lot of abused people, they don't even know what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And, and until someone else goes, um, <clears throat> you notice that you're always battered and bruised. Right? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. You oh, know, no, no, I ran into the wall. It's, it's nothing. Yeah, no, I, exactly. That, you got it. I ran into the wall nine times, right? And so this is, this is the situation for many, many people. They're in an abusive relationship and they have no idea that such a thing even exists. And so, you know, again, the perpetrator then can get away with more and more, and they are. You know, governments um, are the minority and the only way they can control the majority is through suppression and fear. That's all they've got. They've got nothing else. And so once you realise these things, again, you know, you step back into a sense of empowerment and, um, and you know, self-sufficiency that, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to let them keep abusing me, which is why I had to turn off the TV because I started abusing the TV back. <laughs> right? Our leader here, he is a tyrant. I mean, he is the ultimate poster child for this, you know, communist regime that they want to bring into our Western countries. Is that Dan? Dan Andrews, yep. Dan Andrews. Did, did, did that pass or did it, did it fail? Well, you're talking about the permanent pandemic bill? Yeah. It's, yep, it's still sitting before our parliament. And I've got to tell you, this is a really, really serious situation for the whole of the Western democratic world. And I'll tell you why. Because what he's proposing here is the capacity, amongst other things, the capacity to call a pandemic at any time he wants, even if no virus even exists, and even if the World Health Organization hasn't declared a pandemic. So just take that in. This guy can literally just get up tomorrow and say, Victoria, we are now under pandemic rules because I think we've got a problem coming that we have to worry about. Then... On top of that, he wants the powers. This bill proposes that he um, that all those normal equal opportunity anti-discrimination factors that supposedly make up part of living in a democratic society, all of those get suspended. So if he said, for example, and this is literally how broad this bill is, look, uh, he could literally get up tomorrow morning and say, um, heard about this virus on one of the Greek islands, Um, don't know much about it. By the way, pandemic doesn't even have to be a virus in this bill. It could be a climate pandemic, right? But let's say it's a a virus virus. He could get up and he could say tomorrow, heard about this virus on this remote Greek island. I'm concerned about it. I'm going to invoke the permanent pandemic laws, which means 
all rights are suspended. And by the way, if you have Greek origin and you live in the city, we're going to have to take you to the quarantine camps because this virus could be a genetic thing and, um, and we are going to have to separate you from your children and you'll be locked up indefinitely. And for the rest of you, if you're caught on the street without wearing a face mask, you'll face $90,000 fine and two years jail. Now, that's actually written into the pandemic law at the moment. It's pretty scary stuff. And that scenario I've ran is, is ridiculous on one level, but he could do that if he wanted to. And so the power in the hands of a tyrant is a very dangerous thing. And this has no parliamentary oversight, which means there's nobody, there's no checks and balances except one committee that he appoints the members of, and the bill says he can override if he wants to. The concern for you guys with this and the reason we have to stand together and fight, push back on this, is if these or even part of this kind of law gets passed here, I guarantee you it's coming to you because there's not a single leader in any of our countries that won't want the same full power. And if they get it through here, that's going to be an indication that they can get it through wherever they want to get it through. And they'll just chip away until they do. And so um, we're fighting hard, guys. We really are. Um, there are literally people 24 hours on the doorsteps of our parliament. We've, we've got a multi-pronged um, approach strategy that we've taken to, um, you know, try and get us out of this situation that this bill's put us into because we realise the significance not just for Melbourne or not just for Victoria, not just for Australia, but for the rest of the world. Um, and, you know, it really will be a very, very scary place to live if we have people being able to call us shots like this. So that's where we're at with that at the moment. And um, it'll, go, it'll probably go to vote in the second House of Parliament where it has to go um, next week. So the government's trying to negotiate with members of the parliament right now to give them their vote because they don't have enough votes to pass this. No freaking surprise. I mean, the Victorian Bar Association, which is our top legal body, our ombudsman, which is the supposed impartial, you know, government overseer, 13, sorry, now we're up to 80 Queen's councils, which are the highest levels lawyers in our land, um, and a whole lot of other legal and associated human rights organisations have all come out slamming this legislation, saying that, you know, it's way too much um, to allow a leader to lead by decree in a Western world. Um, you know, in a, in a modern civilization, And yet they, despite all of that, there's still people defending them, there's still people defending the government and their right to do these things and still people wanting to push this through. And so as I have said to people here, this bill is a demonstration that democracy died a long time ago and we've been living under a false pretense that we actually live in one. <laughs> So that's where we're at with that one. How's those apples? That yeah, I mean it's uh it's, look, this is crazy. Um where we're at societally right now and all across the uh across the the world. So I mean I I hope that we you know and I'm and I'm and I'm gonna be keeping in touch with you um 
you know, just checking in to see, you know, how this, how this transpires, you know, as long as we can, I mean, who knows, they may, they may try to figure out a way to uh, undo clubhouse or, or, you know, any of these things where we can talk to each other. I'm surprised it's lasted as long as it has, as to be honest with you. (laughs) I wonder why they want to keep it going. There you go. I think, I think they're just using it as, as, uh, you know, just, getting information they're just collecting data more data more data more data that's all that's at this point i mean i think that's all it's all it's about these different apps that pop up that they have control of or that are in bed with them it's just to gather intel yeah you i i think you're right you know they're learning from us um but it's it's fantastic that we can connect like that. It hadn't if it hadn't been for Clubhouse, we wouldn't be here talking right now. And as it turns out, isn't it interesting that you know, again, when we start talking about certain things, your experience on the other side of the world is our experience on this side of the world. So there's no mistake, there's no coincidence. There's you know, there's no accident here. This is a planned scenario that we're living in, and we're just at different stages, you know. Absolutely. And hopefully by sharing what I have today, you know, it gives people some foresight into what you want to prepare for. Yeah, and I think that's all we can do is just, you know, get as much information as you can. Try to try to find some reliable sources that you can trust that the information that you're getting, you know, that they give you the 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 links and the you know places where you can go and find that information for yourself so you're not just you know trusting what you hear because that's what got us into this into this predicament to begin with is we you know (laughs) are you know we just we believed everything i mean it just they it just seemed like you know i mean you're just conditioned and that's just what it is it's just conditioning and you know, it ta- it takes a little bit to break out of that, but I mean, once you break out of it, there's no going back. True story. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. Uh-huh. All right, well, the curtain was pulled, and I know the wizard isn't this giant, so I'm not scared no more. And you better figure out a different story because I'm telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great analogy. Because, you know, the Wizard of Oz, there's a couple of really interesting factors about that. You know, they do find out, they do pull back the green veil, and it is just a man with a big voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the ultimate thing is when the good witch says to Dorothy, you've always had the power, my dear, <laughs> right? And so can I just give a little bit of insight into what, what I've discovered about who we really are and that that, you know, sort of like... Glinda moment. Um, it's a little bit sort of out there, but I'd like to share it because um, I think it's exciting to really discover who we who we really are. If that's okay, if I can do a couple of minutes there. Yeah, go for it. Oh, sweet. Well, thank you for that. Um, so, in wanting to sort of you know get myself above the fray, because going down these rabbit holes can be a very despairing experience, right? To realise what we're really in. Um, and sometimes feeling like we don't know how to get out of it. So I started to look at um, some of the things that have been troubling me for some time, and they come down to two key things. The first thing that uh, this is what, so we know that we get lied to, and, of course, uh, on top of everything else that we've been lied to about, we've been lied to about our true actual powers, and I'm not joking here when I say human beings actually have some superpowers, and I'm going to tell you exactly what they are. 
So there's two things that are always sort of intrigued slash troubled me a bit. Why is it that that we only learn how to tap into 8% of our full brain capacity? Why are we given the other 90, 92%? Like it doesn't make sense, right? Um, you know what I'm saying there? Like why mm-hmm. is there all this brain capacity and we're not like it's just like don't even think about it. No one talks about it. Um, there's no, you know, there's no official program to want to be able to develop it up so that we all become better, bigger, better, you know, bigger being in the sense of mightier um, or more empowered beings. So there's the brain capacity and then our DNA. So you may remember back in, um, you know, the early 2000s they map, or late 1990s, they mapped the genome. Um, and, um, you know, with our DNA, they said that we have 12 strands of DNA but we only use two and, and this is the official scientific line, the rest of our DNA is junk. That's what they've actually told us. So they've told us we only, we only know how to use 10% of the brain and 16.67% of our DNA, so two out of 12 strands of DNA and the other 10 strands are junk. Now, if you're willing to call BS on that and say, well, why would we have all this extra capacity, right, if, if all that we're ever capable of is those smaller amounts? Like why don't we have a smaller brain and why, don't, why do we have 10 extra strands of DNA? So that was sort of the pretext to me just starting to look at other ways that we communicate. And I started hearing people talking about, you know, we're in the third dimension and, then, you know, we're going to the fifth dimension and, do you know what I mean? Have you heard those sorts of things? People yeah. talking about those. Yeah. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I've always known that I'm, you know, there's something a little bit more to us than than um, just this, you know, being, a, you know, this human body that they want us to think that we are, this very small, very incapable, um, need-to-be compliant body and mind, right? So they've wanted to control our minds and our bodies from the moment we're born. In fact, when we're born, we're born into a hospital, you know, theatre scenario where we're blinded by bright light. So right from the second of inception of birth, we're blinded out of our magnificence, right? So anyway, I started looking at um, these other dimensions and why are people talking about the fourth dimension, fifth dimension, stuff like that. And I came across a really interesting guy who works with the orca whales and he calls them the sacred whale because they're the apex predator um, and the Indigenous people of Canada, particularly on the uh, West Coast, have a very special significance um, relationship and that they actually see the whales above God. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, right? So I started to look into his work a bit. Anyway, in doing so, his name's Dr Randall Eaton. In doing that, um, what he, what I spent a little bit of time looking into is how they communicate, which is by waveform, right? So they have a, a language and this, and everyone knows what I'm talking about, the sounds that they make and things like that. And so orcas, of course, part of the dolphin family. So they can say maybe what we say in, you know, um, a paragraph, they can say in a squeak, right, in the waveform. Now, why do people love being in a round dolphins and those sorts of animals, right, in the water, that people always come out of those experiences saying how much better they feel, 
how connected they feel, how much of an incredible experience that was to being around dolphins <clears throat> and, and the orcas, of course, are the same, is because <clears throat> they communicate with us in a form of language that we don't understand, which is waveform. And they're able to scan us and communicate with us, and this is why we're not predatory to them. So, in other words, why they don't hunt us or try and eat us, even though we are flesh, right? Because they, they we have this capacity we don't know about. They know about it. That's how the only way they communicate. So they're already operating at these fourth-dimensional waveforms. Um, and we're not taught to tap into that part of ourselves. So that created a curiosity. And fast forward the story now because, you know, once you understand that, understand that um, there's more ways that we can communicate with one another as well. And these are called extrasensory perceptions, right? Now, ESP was something we always thought was a quackery, right, some sort of craziness. But when you understand that those waveform communication relationships really exist between humans and the dolphin family, then you can start to see that maybe there is a little bit more to us than we've been given credit for. And deliberately so, because they don't want us to know how much more powerful we are because we're already powerful, right? But they want us to believe that we're small, insignificant beings that must be controlled and must comply. So they teach us how to play a small game. They keep us just above broke, which is just above the line of revolution. And they feed us this suckery, you know, this this um, bombardment of mind control and distraction, right, all the things we're talking about earlier. So we never even think about this higher self, this higher capacity. So as I started to look further into all of this, I discovered a couple of key things that brought these home in very real forms, so very real ways. Now, I'm a very work in tangibles, which is why I've mentioned go to, you know, your, your search engine, look this specifically up so that everything I'm saying, you know, is verifiable. So anyway, um, that's how I'm geared, right, is to look for the facts, put information together and, and um, you know, come up with a perspective. So the waveform stuff was a really interesting thing. And then I came across some people in, um, oh, gosh, where's that place where they're like the real redneck part of USA? I'm just trying to think. You call them rednecks. Um, oh. You down south sort of. Like you Oklahoma know. or Arkansas or? Mm, no, it's like, you know, pass me some of that fried chicken, that sort of place. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's like Texas and, and. Maybe, no, it's not Texas, but it's down in, anyway, sub, very southern. You guys call them. Louisiana. I think, uh, I think that's it. New I Orleans. It. Yeah, I think it might be Louisiana. Um, anyway, so I came across this guy who um, had been communicating energetically since he was a small child, and his grandmother's a Cherokee Indian, and always told him to never let, um, you know, anybody take these capacities away from you, this capacity to communicate um, from my his brain to my brain or your brain, right, mm -hmm. and that our brains are actually all connected. And if you understand how to unlock um, these other multi-levels of consciousness, so we give them one level of consciousness, which is the presence in the world, Remember that, that man-made construct of the world. So anyway, so this guy's done all this work with a few institutes across America, a few different ones, Stanford University is one of them and then a, a few others, um, in this thing called bio-intrinsic resonance energy. And so we have this capacity 
to telepathically communicate energy exchange between our brains. So he's over there in wherever it might be, say Louisiana, for example, and I brought a group of people under Clubhouse with him and, and some, some of his cohorts. And he actually, he got, so our group of people didn't know this was going to happen. And I've recorded all of this. So if you want me to make it available, I'm more than happy to do it um, so that you can literally experience this same thing because it doesn't even have to be real time. He got everyone to stand up and he was able to get people's bodies physically moving all at the same time, all in the same way. Now, these were random people that came together on Clubhouse through me. So I, you know, I was the meter of reality, if you like, to make sure there was no BS going on here. Um, So, you know, to some extent, I guess you have to trust what I'm saying. But you can hear the recording. You can hear people sharing their experiences afterwards of what happened. But the power of that is quite incredible. I mean, it's remarkable. Imagine if we learned how to unlock these sorts of powers. So then I go one step further, and I'll finish off on this. Um, I came across something called um, remote viewing, and I was listening to this on Clubhouse, and I was sort of intrigued by it because it was about using extrasensory capacities in groups. And as a group read in the waveform, being able to detect waveform, then being able to objectify it into a 3D version, so in a way that we're taught to see things, right, objectifying it, and then being able to um, express that in a 2D format. But this idea, it was not, um, you know, mediumship. It wasn't um, uh, astro-travelling or any of those sorts of esoteric things that we hear about. This is something that was funded for 27 years by the CIA, right? Yeah. So they actually ran a unit in the CIA called the Remote Viewing Unit. And you can look it up. It's called the, they renamed it the Stargate Project. But before you look it up, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you because this is really, really significant. So it turns out the guy running these information sessions on how to how to detect in the waveform, then how to objectify it into the out, so waveform being four-dimensional, how to d- determine or interpret that into the third dimension, which is objectifying it, and then how to express it in the second dimension, which is drawing it. Turns out this guy worked for the CIA in this unit, this remote viewing unit. His name's Dr. David Morehouse. Now, they ran this from the mid-1970s through to the early 1990s and it was the early 1990s that Dr Morehouse was approached by a publisher to write a book about his experiences because um, the CIA was using remote viewing as a form of intel. So they were getting these groups of trained agents to be able to collectively remote view for example, a military site in Russia to work out what they had. This is all verifiable online. Like it's not me telling the story. It's not even David telling the story. You can read it on the CIA website. No, I've heard about all this stuff before. You heard about it, right? So that's cool. So um, David goes on to uh, Clubhouse regularly, by the way, and so do my other friends from Louisiana who do the bio-intrinsic resonant energy. So if anyone wants to experience any of this firsthand, by all means, do it. But remember where I was coming from, right? Why is it that we're only 
unlocking 8 to 10% of our brain? And why is it that they tell us that 10 of our 12 strands of DNA are junk? Because they never want us to know who we really are. Because if we actually found that out, we actually learned how to use these powers, well, you talk about disconnecting from their system, well, we can overthrow it, right? That point. So coming back to um, the CIA, so what they were doing, um, you know, they did this for more than 20 years. So I think it was 27 years in total they funded this operation. Then David decided that he wanted to whistleblow on the CIA in this program, not because of it bad, but because he realised this is a way for people to learn their true full human potential and that we are om- we are omnipresent, we are omniscient and we're omnipotent. We are... Um, and we're living in a hologram, which is what I call that man-made construct, the world. And so he felt a calling to mankind and to humanity to start to tell the truth of what we're really capable of from his experiences in the CIA. So you've got my friends with the biointrinsic resonant energy stuff where he literally was able to get people in a clubhouse room from all over the world stand up and he was able to affect them physically all at the same time, Right. And then you've got Dr. David Morehouse saying this. Well, the CIA got wind that Dr. Morehouse was going to publish his works. His first book's called The Spiritual, no, The Psychic Warrior. He hates the title of that book, by the way, but that's what the publisher wanted to call it. Well, when that became a thing, they tried to dishonorably discharge him and they lost. The CIA lost. Um, He was ex military, by the way. So it's military people working for the CIA. Um, and so they lost the case to, they tried to dis, um, you know, to discredit him, to make him out to be a, 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 a wacko. So at that point, then the CIA came out and said, oh, Stargate, we've closed that down. It never, never proved anything, never, never helped us in any way. And 27 fucking years of money. And you're <laughs> telling me, right, that all of a sudden, because he's publishing a book, that, um, you know, now it's all rubbish and never never led to anything and they never got any value from it. Bullshit, right? Sorry, but bullshit, and I call it. And so does he, of course. <clears throat> so if you go looking up Operation Stargate, CIA, you're going to read the CIA published information calling it all crap, and you need to know why they did that, and that's why that backstory is so important. But anyway, so David now is openly teaching these skill sets. Now, he's not teaching you how to become a medium or a whatever, right? He hates all that stuff and he hates people referring to remote viewing as some shaman that sits, you know, under a banyan tree and sees the future. He has, um, and the CIA developed a set of protocols. And so there's a very specific structure and this is what I liked about what I was hearing because my mind's like that. I need to see, you know, a structure. I need to see proof. I'm not a, I'm, I'm a spiritual minded person. I'm spiritually open, but I need to see something that grounds stuff as well. And so the protocols and the system that he uses and the fact that he, you know, says if it's not this, it's not remote viewing by CIA standards. I absolutely love that. So I've done his course. And um, he has some advanced ones as well. But um, in doing that program, again, further unlocked these true hidden potentials of the human being. And remember, hue being means light, man being, you know, man or woman being. So hue, man being, light beings, that's actually what we are. 
And so when you understand more and more about who we really are and that we're actually eternal energy and on our timeline, on our soul timeline, this little snippet on um, planet Earth within the man-made construct of the world is insignificant. And so the realisation of that and the understanding that these powers are there for you to tap into at any time and I can open the doors to these resources to you any time for free so that you can ex- experience it for yourself, I realise that we have an obligation, right, to get out of their system and start to discover these other true facts. And here's the biggest kicker of it all is that this isn't a special skill set that some people are born with and others aren't. We all have them in us and we all have 90% of our brain we're not using and 10 strands of our DNA that we're not using. And as soon as you can really truly digest that, Sean, and understand that you are this omnipresent being, um, an eternal energy being on a on a timeline that includes a very small snippet um, in the man-made construct called the world, you suddenly have very little fear and almost zero dependence on that system that has sucked the life force out of you for so long. With that being said, I'm, I, I have more, but I'm going to end there because I don't want to go too far that people go all this madness. Right? <laughs> well, that, give me a reaction to what I've just shared. Well, I've always... Um... Like I've heard that story before, or I mean, I've heard I've heard of remote viewing, <clears throat> but I've always thought that we're just we're just meat antennas, all right. So our brain is just this giant antenna that's capable of doing all kinds of different things. I mean, I've experienced some of it myself, like things that I can't explain, and the only thing that can explain it is the fact that it must have been telecommunications or, um, you know, uh. It's just, it, it's weird. Like, I've been one of those people that, like, sometimes I have to be careful about the things that I think of because I manifest things. <laughs> right. And so I, I just have to, like, be conscious of, of, of that. And, you know, and I don't think it's like an ability. I think everybody has that ability to manifest what they want. But sometimes yeah. when you, when you get, like, when I get wrapped up into something, it, it just tends, like, I have to just not, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. But and then there's been other things that that can't be explained either. So I just I'm like, well, we I know that we're capable of doing these things, but then again, I also know that all of the EMF that surrounds us on a daily basis from wherever we're at that also helps to keep it down to where like there's this interference that's keeping us, you know, all yep. the actual electromagnetic frequency wavelengths that are around us are keeping us from actually experiencing what we are full potential. 100% spot on. But to know that it's out there and that you are more than they tell you you are, hopefully is exciting for you and anyone else that might still be listening. <laughs> yeah, um, well it's 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 when it's when you get a when I have the most experience of of this is when I get above and away from um like in the mountains where there's no cell signal, there's no um electrical towers, there's none of that stuff. And it's yes. and when it gets dark, it's so dark that you can see the entire sky. There's no light pollution, there's nothing. It's just 
you and and the sky and just like the only thing that I can explain it to, and Joe Rogan talks about this all the time, and it's about there's not very many there's not very many places in our lives where we feel insignificant anymore. Like the light pollution keeps us from in the big cities from being able to see the light, the the sky, and and to to really experience how small and minute we really are in the whole cosmic, the, mm-hmm. in the whole thing, right? And the only other time I've experienced stuff like that is when I go uh, fishing in the ocean, right? And there's all kinds of things. Like I've had whales go, like big whales go underneath the boat. And literally when we're fishing and our lines start going over its its dorsal or pectoral fins and cutting our lines and like having one breach really close to us. I mean, that, that makes you feel insignificant, right? It's like, oh, I got to I got to respect this that I'm not in their home, right? I mean, I'm not in my home, I'm in their home. So they I need to be looking out for them, not them looking out for me. You got it. And so that's just kind of like, I don't know, there's things in life that, you know, I think there's a lot of people that don't experience any of that kind of stuff, right? They just they go they go along mindlessly consuming thinking that that this whole me thing, right? I me uh, it's just me, and so it's just I don't know, man. It's really it's it's difficult, and you have to be <laughs> and, and you have to be self aware too, man. I mean, being a human is not an easy thing. Well, we're complicated, you know. But I think instinctively too, people know that there's more to them. People know that there's more going on than what they're being told on some level, and it's getting that space and that air, that free air, to be able to notice. And that's, you know, like when you get away to the country or out on the water, you know, that's really connecting you back to base. Um, that's that's exciting, you know. If people just did more of that, um, you know, we'd have a better connected community. You don't have to go down um, the paths of discovery of more of yourself, just knowing mm-hmm. that you are more um, and that when they, they try those lines on us, you know, um, that are designed to keep us small to be able to literally put your head up and your shoulders back and know that that's complete BS. Um, I find that very liberating and and empowering, you know, for those people that do want to push back. And then for those people that do want to know more, I think it's exciting that these people like Dr. Randall Eaton, um, who, you know, is working with the Orcas and Dr. David Morehouse is working with remote viewing, you know, out there wanting to teach us about these connections and these greater powers because they've realised that, you know, <clears throat> this is really the time for the, all of that to come to the surface for those that are willing to receive it, um, you know. So I find a lot of what's happened a blessing, the bad stuff and the coming out of the truths because, um, you know, I would have gone on mindlessly thinking that, you know, what I was doing in my work was all there was to life and, you know, <laughs> somehow or another I was going to be a complete human being. And, um, and you know, this has given us the opportunity to be so much more and to, to just offer so much more, become so much more and, um, and, and have so much more than anything that, they could ever have offered us, you know, through a bright, shiny object. <laughs> so, and, um, and the thing, the, the most important thing I think that you said is that we have the, we have the ability to not participate. 
you just got to figure cool. out what that looks like for you and yeah. how you can how you can manifest that into your life into your situation you know it's not going to happen overnight because these systems have been put in place and, be, and we become dependent on them you know a lot a lot like these phones you know i mean they they i think that's you know one of the worst things that you know i don't know man i think the phone is probably the worst one because it's something that everybody holds on to and it's going to be yeah. the hardest thing to get away from because they've be, they've made you dependent on it. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and, yeah. and you know, people used to always say, "Oh, well, they're going to be tracking us." Well, if you have one of these phones, they're already tracking you. They're already they're already recording you. They're already listening to everything that you're saying. It doesn't matter. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. And and you know, um, that's where you've got to find that balance too of. Uh, you know, are you okay to have a phone? Like when I go out, I don't take my phone with me. And I do that quite deliberately, you know, consciously, because I figure if it turns out I need to make a call, I'm going to be able to make a call, <laughs> right, um, somewhere. And so, uh, you know, I've reduced it down to the minimum that I can, but I still have a phone and um, I don't see my foreseeable future giving it up, um, you know, but but I'm okay with that. I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like they've got a hold of me, you know? I think that's, you know, that perspective, that paradigm shift, um, that's the big one in amongst all of this that will keep you not just going, but keep you thriving, you know? And, And that's what we're here for. We're here to have a great time. And, um, they've done everything to quash that. It's up to us to claim it back. You know, and I think that's the choices that we're making in Australia right now. People are, are rising up and just saying we're not going to not going to take it anymore. Like, no, you know, you're never going to have a cushy public service job again. You know, yeah. you're never going to have a, a pushy a cushy um, politician's pay packet. You're going to earn every bloody cent of that, and we're going to keep our eye on you, and we're going to keep questioning you. And uh, if we're not satisfied, you can know about it. And so. Um, None of us really, you know, Aussies aren't really that big into their politics, not like America, which is the other reason why this is the perfect place to do what they've done in terms of the playbook because we're just laid back. Like literally our lifestyle is, you know, barbecues, uh, sports, the beach, you know. We literally are like that, like literally like that. Mick Dundee, hey, mate, put another shrimp (laughs) on the barbie, right? <laughs> well, because we don't even call them shrimp, which is even more hilarious yeah, about right. that promotion. But um, yeah, you know that that sort of uh, that real Aussie uh, knockabout, you know, easygoing lifestyle, getting together on a Sunday afternoon, play a game of cricket, have a barbie, go for a swim, you know, have a surf. I mean, they just, you know, talk about sleepy holler. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm getting jealous just listening to you talk about those things. Well, we hope to be able to welcome you here one day into a great place right now i wouldn't come here um it's horrible here at the moment but um but the people are pushing back and you know you're going to see some more great things coming out of australia and uh, from the people and um you know the great aussie comeback is going to be is will be the great humanity comeback it, it's just we're first in line that's all well, you guys are leading the way, and you know after that turnout of more than four hundred was it four hundred fifty thousand people, or at least just over fifty one. <laughs> uh, just in one city, just oh. in one city, was four hundred fifty thousand. We had a 
probably about 800,000 on the weekend at protests. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And hopefully you will be the example that the rest of the world well i'm gonna the rest of the world a lot of the world is already doing it it's the united states that's 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 not uh rising to the occasion yet i mean there's there's small ones here and there but nothing like uh, like like that (laughs) yeah and that's you know that's where we look a little bit at you guys and we're a little bit worried for you because they jumped on us you know we had to backpedal this came at us hard and fast. And if there's one thing, you know, that we would have loved was a little bit of time <laughs> and a little bit of foresight as to what was coming. And um, I've been saying this for several months now to to all my friends that I speak to in America about these things. You need to take advantage of the fact that you can all get together right now freely and be able to communicate and share and exchange and plan and even in your local communities to have game plans should communications get cut off, should food supplies get cut off, you know, to talk about these things and get to know each other, get to know who the other truth seekers are um, around you because we didn't get the luxury of any of that and we were literally trying to communicate, with, you know, with pigeons, you know, at one stage there because you couldn't go out after 9 o'clock without being caught in the streets. Mm. And so um, we didn't have that ability to pre-organise. So we're doing everything retrospectively. And if we had that time, we wouldn't have gone as far down the ditch as we've gone because we would have been able to say, for example, look what's happening in America. We need to get together now and talk while we can, yeah. you know. We, we didn't realise what they were going to do to us and how far they were going to go. I mean, they messed with our communication system here in Melbourne as well. Um, they cut off live streaming capacities, all sorts of stuff. I mean, they've really messed with us here. And, you know, if that stuff comes to you guys, who are you, who are you going to turn to? You know, who do you know around your neighbourhood that you can actually trust, especially when you're an armed society? I mean, we're disarmed. But you don't think a crazy person won't turn on you if they're desperate? Oh, no, yeah they, yeah, they will. I mean, they will. When people, yeah. when people get to that point where they're starving and... You're, right. you're you're the only you're 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 what's in between a, another meal and survival between you know what I mean you're, you're what's in between oh, yeah. that yeah and so I mean people yeah it's gonna get it'll it'll get ugly quick exactly and and you know we worry about that for you guys because you you haven't come together in those ways yet and it's a bit like sometimes you have to have something taken away before you realize how valuable it is and that's what happened to us and so if there's anything you guys can learn from us it's please get together now find out who the truth seekers the truth tellers are in your local neighborhoods and form a community of communication know what you'll do if communications go down if food supplies get shut if water supplies get cut if um you know, mainstream communications go down, all those things. Um, you know, think about those things so that you, you just talk about them, have some general ideas, you know, find some people that you can trust. Um, you're going to need them. Believe me, you're going to need them uh, if we go down that far. And unfortunately, I don't know how much further down we're going to go before we actually turn this around. It could get a lot darker before we see the light. And, um, you know, you guys have the benefit that we didn't have um, because they, like, you know, just 
that just came on us. Like I said, one day we're fighting about toilet paper. The next day they've got a ring of steel around the city so that you can't move out of your town, you know. <laughs> and so uh, all of us, and, and, and you know, um, military walking on our streets. We were like, holy crap, you know, we were in a state of shock for quite a while just even realising that, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're a long way from right. home, Toto. <laughs> we're a long way from home, Toto. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, that would be the big thing. If I was over there right now, I'd be getting together, even on Clubhouse or wherever, you know, just very, very small groups of people that you can expand on, um, but that you have that local group, that local connection because you may have to one day meet out the back of a town hall somewhere to discuss how you're all going to protect your, your patch. You don't know, you know. Um, but anyway, that's my thoughts for you guys. And other than that, you are the mighty power. We might be first in line, but I think you guys are the final frontier. And, um, and I do believe you'll rise in the moment. I just hope that, um, you know, you've had some time to actually prepare yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, we won't. I mean, because you, you get <laughs> when it come when it comes to that, if it comes to that, people need are, need to be willing to get uncomfortable, and I think that's where the big yeah. the big uh, disconnect is is that people aren't willing to get uncomfortable right now at this point, and I think that they're relying too much on the fact that we have weapons. And you know what I mean? And, and it's like, okay, well, do you not think that they haven't thought of that? Exactly. You know what I mean? They, they, yeah. if, if they're, if they're pushing the ultimate goal is to disarm the United States. That's the ultimate goal. Correct. And that's been the ultimate goal for a long time. They just haven't figured out how to do it yet. But I, 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 Imagine that DARPA or some of these other defense projects have worked out a way to circumvent that. <laughs> yeah. Um, through other kind of weapons and through other kind of, uh, you know, things that, you know, from high pitch noises that affect everybody and make you, you know, even if you got a gun in your hand, you're not going to be able to use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do think you've got that stuff going on as well, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, and we can, you know, resolve this hostile takeover. Um, you know, and that's it, what it is. yeah, it's a hostile takeover, and hopefully we can circumvent it, and you know, just all live the lives that we're supposed to be living, man. Exactly, because the world, um, you know, is that human construct, but the earth is abundant. Like we're not we're not killing it, um, <laughs> you know. But look how fast it, it 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 turned itself around when nobody was driving. Yeah, when yeah, we were all lo- when we were all locked down. I mean, the places that were usually smog laden cleared. Yes, yeah. Even the um, Venice canals cleared up, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like what? Like but this- she's abundant, and she's a living organism, and she repairs herself constantly. I'm talking about Mother Earth, you know. So we have that beautiful life if we want it, but we're going to have to earn it, yeah, you know. Yeah, we, yeah. Hit, we had to hit a tipping point. This pandemic law was our tipping point. That's why you're suddenly seeing people on the streets. You guys haven't reached your tipping point yet. You're not pissed off enough yet, you know. 
Um, <laughs> that's the difference. No, we haven't got uncomfortable enough. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the that's the main factor. You know, like, like I said, the, I go to work every day and I'm driving. I'm talking. It doesn't seem like anything's different other than what I'm listening to. So it's and, and if that's and I and I have all this information and I know where to get this information. There's tons of people that don't even have no clue what you guys are going through. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people. I mean, like I would say, I would say, eight out of ten people that I ask, "Hey, do you know what's going on down in uh, in Australia?" No, what's going on there? That's the an- <laughs> that's the an- that's the answer I get. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, they're doing a doozy on on hiding the shit. That's for sure. Yeah, well, they really are. I mean, there's a very active um, sensory campaign going on, censorship campaign going on. Um, they hate this. They hate that we get this word this word out to the world. Like the humiliation and um, and the sheer embarrassment of their stupidity. You know, when it shows up, I mean, they just hate it. And 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 in Dan Andrews especially, he. If you've ever seen the eyes of a white shark roll back, that's Dan Andrews when, mm. when a, 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 um, a media, you know, a reporter triggers him with this stuff. And um, there's some classic stuff. I mean, one of the, uh, I've got to tell you this funny little story when we, we must wrap up, but um, he was being interviewed and um, something came up about the protests and he says, um, so the reporter asked something and, and uh, he goes, well, I don't even know what they're they're protesting about anyway, and the reporter says, "You mostly, <laughs> right?" And he goes, "Oh, well, good on him. Well, protesting's illegal." <laughs> 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 oh man, I tell you what, it was gold, absolute gold, to see that uh, he was that rattled um, that, uh, you know, a reporter got him that easily. And, and so that, you know, they give us small wins, by the way. I mean, we love that stuff because, you know, taking the piss is part of the Aussie sort of his spirit, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, he's, um, he, he is just, he hates how much we hate him and that the worldwide media gets to see it. So they have tried everything to censor content here and anything from here, anything about here, and anything to here, they've they've like gone out of their ways through the media to try and squash it, and you know what? They can't because we'll keep showing up in places like Clubhouse or wherever, and we're going to keep telling the truth. We're going to keep exposing them, and we're going to keep going until this is done, you know. Um, and and we'll do what it takes now because we've been triggered. And, um, you know, I hope enough happens for you guys to get triggered like that too. I don't wish you to go through what we've been through, not at all. It's been a horrific psychological operation. But, um, you know, if you're triggered enough and you can push back enough, um, you know, these people, just the the sheer humiliation of being exposed um, reveals them even more because they just can't cope like that scenario I just read yeah, through. Yeah. You know? And um, and we love it and it gives us fuel for our fire. <laughs> so well, we're I, looking forward to booting his ass out, mate. <laughs> yeah, well hopefully this, you know, the that uh, thing doesn't pass and and you know we can put all this stuff behind us where we don't have to test those test those waters. But um who knows, man. Uh, things change so fast every day. 
But I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate I how long we talked for. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's okay. I just got into it, man. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. I, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed all of the information that you shared with uh, me and the listeners. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, likewise, and let's keep doing it. And, you know, if anybody wants to find out about anything I've spoken about, well, you can Google everything or search everything I've talked about. But, um, you know, if you do want to uh, experience those things on Clubhouse, just, you know, shoot me a note, Sean, and um, I'll link people up so they can experience it for themselves. And um, other than that, right, never, ever forget to make every day, you know, the best you can make it regardless of what's going on around you. Because that's what it's all about. Like, don't let them take your quality of life from you anymore. We've we've surrendered enough, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's the perfect point to end on. Jen, thank you. I appreciate you. And uh, like I said, looking forward to, to talking again. A little bit down the future and see see where you guys are uh, there. And uh, hopefully we're not in a situation where we're comparing notes uh, about what's going on in your country. Yeah, that's right. No, no, what your leaders do to you today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the highlight of your psychological operation? <laughs> <laughs> you're, an, you're awesome. I'm so glad we met, Sean. I really appreciate when you pop into our clubhouse and, you know, you're always welcome, my friend. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Jen. And I'll let you know when this publishes and I'll send you the links and all the stuff that you'll need for it. Sweet. Love it. All right. See you, mate. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.